Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is Jonathan. Jonathan Pritchett. Pritchett. Welcome, yes. Jonathan. Glad that you are here from inside the quarantine zone. Yes, quarantine edition. Yeah, so <clears throat> did you feel left out yesterday when I did a live stream with Eric Hernandez without you? Yeah, I feel left out a lot. This is what happens when you have to work all the time, but yeah. But uh, you know, you gotta you're 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 holding down the YouTube port and I, I gotta I got, you know, fifteen hundred and some odd students to keep happy and so me and Andy Armstrong and, and Steve Selby were heading up our departments making sure everything's still going at Trinity and you know Gotta gotta keep things moving. And I know Trinity students are at home and uh God bless them and we're praying for them and uh they're getting a lot of their work done. So Amen. we're 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 staying busy. So that that's good. I love to uh love to see the students all uh, you know, carrying on and discussing in the message boards and, and and moving on. Like that's one of the things that's great about Trinity. You know, we've been doing distance learning for over 50 years. So we've got this down to a science. I know other schools or universities across the country are trying to figure out how to do it uh, and charging way too much money to do it, uh, including uh, other seminaries and Bible colleges. So uh, if you're looking for a, a way to save some uh, money and, and do distance learning the right way, uh, go to trinitysim.edu uh, because we want to remind people, first and foremost, that Trinity Radio is while not necessarily tied to the seminary, it's first and foremost a function of the seminary to get popular level apologetics out to uh, the world. So on behalf of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, where the Board of Regents allow us to do this in addition to our normal duties. So uh, thank you to them as well. Right. And what a, what a great what a great way to start the show. So let's get into it. Today we are responding to Hemet Mehta as he is uh, laying out, and by the way, Jonathan, um, I don't know if you knew this, Other, there's at least one other uh, Christian YouTuber who has gone through uh, this video and responded to all these. I haven't seen that video, but uh, it's a video called 78 Questions for Christians. Now, um, this would be the longest episode of Trinity Radio ever in history if we went through all 78, so we're not going to probably do that, but we're going to get through as many as we can in the time that we have. So, um, you may recall we've responded to Meta a couple of times before, uh, but this is the first time, Jonathan, I think you've been with me responding to him. This is a guy who, if I understand his background correctly, was studying to be a medical doctor, but decided that a more worthwhile path was to become an atheist blogger. So, um, so, uh, yeah, especially right now where we're in the middle of, uh, a pandemic, you know, we, we want more people in med school to become atheist bloggers instead of uh, helping save lives. That's Seems sensible. All right, let's yeah. start off with a really exciting one, Jonathan. Is Anne Frank burning in hell? How about, Mah uh, uh, how about Mahatma Gandhi? Is Fred Phelps in heaven since he believed in the divinity of Jesus? By the way, I'm sure you're familiar with the former two, but for anyone that might not be aware, I think Fred Phelps is the guy that was from Westboro Baptist Church, right? So yeah. uh, this is a guy who uh, technically believes in, uh, at least in terms of the salvation doctrine. I don't, I'm not even comfortable saying, but I, my understanding is he basically believed in a somewhat orthodox salvation doctrine, but then... Uh, had wild uh, activities with his church, extremely Calvinistic, but would go protest 
military funerals and had the God hates a uh, certain group of people who I don't want to name or else YouTube won't allow this to be monetized. You understand where we're going with this. So, um, Jonathan, yeah. uh, what about those people? Anne Frank, Mahatma Gandhi, or Fred Phelps, where, where will they take up residence in eternity? Yeah, I do want to say that most Calvinists I know do not approve of the Westboro Baptist Church's, uh, you know, their ecclesiology, their their understanding of uh, sanctification and Christian living. They would reject that wholeheartedly. Um, so I want to make that as clear as I want to say that they seem to be very consistent, in my opinion, as well. So uh, one one. One point for the Calvi friends, and one one point that'll make them snarl. But but yeah, um, uh, my question to all three is: I don't know for the first two, um, probably not, because here's here's the thing: salvation is through Jesus Christ. Salvation is repenting and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God came to earth, lived a life of perfect obedience before starting a three-year ministry preaching the kingdom of God, okay? And at the end of that ministry, he was sentenced to death, and he died a horrific death on the cross, but he did so in accordance with the scriptures for our sins, and he was buried and he was raised in accordance with the scriptures, and so he then commissioned his apostles to go preach the good news. And so salvation is by giving your loyalty, your faith, your, your allegiance to King Jesus, the, the Son of God who conquered the twin reigning cosmic powers of sin and death that have the whole world under its sway. So without giving your allegiance to King Jesus, there is no salvation. And that goes for Anne Frank. It goes to Gandhi who said he likes Jesus, but not Jesus's people, which makes no sense to me, even though people think that's clever. Um, we are a body. So those who are in Christ, what is true of Christ becomes true of those who are in him. So um, I would say that if they did not repent and believe the gospel, they're not going to be saved. Now, as far as Fred Phelps goes, I don't know the man's heart, um, but you know, you can tell a lot by what's in the heart, by what comes out of their mouth. And I did not hear Jesus come out of his mouth. So I, I, I'm i not like not inclined to think that Jesus was in his heart either. Um, now, some people may, you know, want to say no matter how rotten of a human being he was, he still believes certain chivalrous and, and, and propositions in a checkbox. But that's not merely what Christianity and Christian faith is. And I hope to have uh, in a future episode, I've got Matthew Bates uh, lined up to talk about what biblical faith is versus what a lot of atheists and some Christians seem to mistake faith for. And look for that in the next com coming weeks as we can sort it out with all this craziness. But um, not likely for the first two. And I'm on record as saying I don't know, but probably not likely for uh, the last one either. In my uh, opinion, make that of what you will. Um, people say, well, you can't judge people's hearts, but Jesus gave us various ways not only to examine ourselves, but to examine others and to see if their faith is dead or if their faith leads to good works and not uh, reprehensible ones. So yeah, it's pretty, it's uh, we, pretty interesting. Uh, you know, actually, I think this is actually a pretty clever three people to choose. Now, it's it, well, I should say it would be clever if, the, if I thought there was more substance to what he's doing with this. 
actually all he's trying to do is to say the typical like, well, look, here's two wonderful, incredible, uh, world-changing people, and then here's this jerk who technically believed what you Christians say you have to believe to be saved. And that is that is a dumb point, frankly, that because it misunderstands what we believe about the gospel message. Anyway, the 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 understanding the biblical understanding of anthropology is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, as wonderful as the contributions of Gandhi uh, may have been, as wonderful as the or, and perhaps inspired as the thoughts of Anne Frank were in her diary as a young girl, especially now that we're all in quarantine ourselves. Right, you know, that's right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, not not to at all compare what we're going through to what she went through. right but but right uh, but 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 yeah as wonderful as those two people were the understanding the christian message is all have sin now uh before all the atheists in the chat go oh what a horrible doctrine you all believe we're just all wicked from birth guilty of someone else's sin actually uh there are christians that think so but on uh the two of us here we don't believe that we are born personally culpable for what Adam did. We inherit a sin nature from Adam that is a nature and an environment inclined towards sin. Um, We have a world that is filled with sin and sinful influences, making it more likely that we will sin. And we, of course, have um, uh, perhaps um, influences, genetics, cognitive fallenness, all these kind of things that, that make it so likely that Paul could, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, rightly say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, now, that said, all that said, uh, we, everyone is going to sin, so it's not like these people are good enough that they deserve heaven and this guy's bad enough that he deserves hell. No, the, right. the, the punishment for sin is death. But it would be a clever, it actually would be a clever lineup, I think, if the point was more thoughtful than that. You know, why right. is it that Gandhi... Uh, now, let me preface this by saying, for me, you actually gave your thoughts on it, and, and you're just speculating, and I, and we can speculate, but for me, I never conclusively can... I don't think I can say for sure about any particular person that they are definitely in one place or the other. Um, there are a few people, right. obviously, who make it a lot easier than others. Osama bin Laden, perhaps, Hitler. You know, hey, I, you know, that, that seems pretty safe bet, right? But I can't say about any particular person... Um, where they are, but let's take uh, Anne Frank for a second. Uh, Anne- well, I'm I'm not saying I know conclusively. I want to make this clear. I'm not saying I know conclusively. I said it's not likely that the first two aren't, and probably the same goes for Fred Phelps. Uh, I do want to talk about original sin before we start talking about each of these individuals uh, more in depth, because you laid our case out, uh, our our position out. Uh, very good. We believe that we inherit a nature and environment uh, inclined towards sin, while other people uh, believe that we inherit not only that, but the imputed guilt of Adam's personal sin. Now, while I reject that view on biblical grounds, I also like what you said, that we're all going to sin anyway. And so uh, I believe that no one is without sin. And even if you believe in the concept of sin or not, you have wronged other people and so you have done things that the Bible does consider sin that even you think are unfortunate, uh, uh, wicked things that you've done to other people as well. So it's not like you think that you – it's not like our atheist friends who reject this think that they've lived uh, incredibly pure lives uh, and have never wronged anybody in any sense whatsoever. Um, so while uh, I, I do want to affirm that that is our view of original sin – I do also want to make the kind of common sense point that when you have 50 million sins of your own uh, to account for, 
protesting about the one sin of Adams in addition to all that seems pretty trivial. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, okay, so with Anne Frank, uh, how old was she? Do we? Know? I, I should know this. I, I could probably Google it real quick. Uh, I think she was like... 20. Yeah, I can ask my kids because they've recently read the diary. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my, my my kids know this because they're they're good homeschool kids and they they learn stuff and remember stuff better than I do, uh, but but um, okay, yeah, fifteen, go ahead, fifteen and, years old, yeah, so, fifteen. Well, uh, you were uh, missed it by three years, close enough, younger than us by lots. We'll just say I don't know, man. One report says fifteen, one says nineteen. This is this is what you should do before. You know, a show prep or something, but yes, because um, we always we 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 didn't. It's not like we never recorded episodes that don't Google right, your research. Right. But okay, look, look, she's yeah. she's between fifteen and nineteen. It looks like Wikipedia said yeah. fifteen. So all right, look, here, here's the thing. That's old enough. That's old enough for anyone who holds something like what is called the doctrine of um, uh, accountability, where uh, or an uh, age of accountability doctrine, where you have to be. Uh, not that there's a certain age, but you have to be at a certain level of cognitive function before you're held responsible. And there are biblical passages that seem to imply that um, before the child was old enough to know the good from the bad or what, you know, there's, there's things like that in the Bible that seem to indicate that. So um, she's past that. Uh, did she have access to the gospel? What? Because here's the thing. I don't know where you are on this. My uh, There are different ways we understand what is called the doctrine of, or the um, the fate of the unevangelized. We've talked about that on the show before. But so the idea that uh, what, how is God just in condemning people to hell who never heard the gospel, never heard the name of Jesus, never saw a Bible, never met a missionary. And um, my favorite way of handling that is to go the Cornelius route of Acts chapter 10 and say, look, if you're genuinely open to the truth and, and you're genuinely seeking God, then uh, it's it, at least it seems like there's some biblical indication, at least in one very clear case, that perhaps he will send someone to such a person uh, or send the message in some way to such a person such that they can hear it and repent. Um, there is also the, the, uh, the answer, not, I'm not going to go through all of them, but one, one answer that held by none less than Billy Graham and William Lane Craig is that perhaps God judges people on the basis of what um, uh, of the light that they did have. So if all you have is general revelation to say there is a God, and if I knew who that God was, I would worship him, but you don't ever get the gospel as such, is God, you know, perhaps God will judge you based on the light that you do have that way. Um, but, and then of course there is the Molinist answer. You're, you're a, lo- a self-loathing Molinist uh, who affirms middle knowledge. Uh, Tim Stratton says that makes you a mere Molinist. Um, I am too. Yeah. And of course. Uh, I, li- I, I like mere... I like his label for me better than your label for me, I by like the mine way. Because it's funny, but uh, <laughs> right, but, and, and probably probably twins with. Tr- I mean, I can't deny that you know me better than most people on planet Earth. So I have to say, uh, sometimes our closest friends see things about us that we don't see ourselves or tend to ignore about ourselves. You might be right. I have a little bit of self-loathing about my Molinism, but uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, so, so the Molinism uh, would the middle knowledge answer. It's at least possible on middle knowledge. How do you know that all the people that end up not hearing the gospel in in this actual world are the people who God knows would reject the gospel freely in any world where they did hear it? So uh, that right, you know, that's at least a possible. And and I think I'm probably wrong about this this second speculation because 
Um, I don't hear Molinus talking about it. Maybe there's some philosophical aspect of this I haven't considered. But I don't know. So when somebody asks me, um, uh, uh, couldn't God have made a world where I was freely saved, uh, even though I'm an atheist, you know, I don't, first of all, I hope this that's the actual world. I hope you do get saved. But um, right. I, I, I see no contradiction in the concept that God in his, seem, you know, in his knowledge of the seemingly infinite number of possible worlds, um, perhaps he actualized the one world where everyone who would have been saved in, freely in any world uh, of free creatures is, and only the people who would freely reject in any world of free creatures are the only lost people. Um, I don't see why that's impossible. I mean, that, that's, that seems like a, po- like a possible and feasible world, but who knows? Well, the whole question itself, uh, regardless of how we understand Christian exclusivism versus various forms of inclusivism and all of that, the question itself is designed to get Christians to be uncomfortable with the basic truth claims of the gospel, the gospel that I presented earlier. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I'm not, like Paul, ashamed of the gospel. And so while unfortunately some, not many, but some apologists try to shy away and gloss over or engage in sophistry to get around the uncomfortableness, I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm happy to say that if you do not repent and believe the gospel, um, I'm not ashamed to say that there are consequences of judgment and hell. I don't know about this burn in hell forever if he's trying to insinuate literal fire or speaking colloquially or whatever else. There's also shows on various uh, uh, versions of the nature of hell that Christians hold to. But this is to try to make Christians uncomfortable with the basic truth claims and to make it an appeal to pity. What about poor Anne Frank? What about poor, poor Gandhi? which uh, it's recent decades for what we've discovered about his personal life. But regardless of any of that, uh, you know, like Paul says, I'm, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And people who do not believe the gospel, they need to repent and believe because God is going to judge the world by one man, uh, the one that he raised from the dead, which that's how you know he's going to judge the world by that one man. He proved it by raising him from the dead. And we make that case uh, at least several times a month uh, these days. Yeah. And when, yeah. And, well, and when you stack your life up next to Jesus, the one man by which he'll judge the world, you uh, fall short. So people do need to repent and believe the gospel that here at Trinity Radio, we are proud to proclaim and preach, and we are not ashamed of it. Yeah. So with Gandhi, it's an interesting case because with Gandhi, what you have is uh, there's no— qu- So the reason I brought all that up about the fate of the unevangelized is it is theoretically possible that— uh, Anne Frank never heard the gospel as such. It's possible, you know. I, I so I don't know exactly. All I know is that God is just, and God will judge her justly, as He will everyone. But when we move on to Mahatma Mahatma Gandhi, the the interesting thing here is uh, you you alluded to what he said about Christians. I think specifically what he said was, "I would have been a Christian were it not for the Christians." And you're right. There is sort of something about that that resonates with us that we think. 
Yeah, that makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, there are some awful Christians. I mean, Jonathan Pritchett has talked about how there are some awful Christians out there. So maybe maybe that, that speaks to the poor testimony that the church has been. But he, here's the thing. If that's the reason Mahatma Gandhi was not a Christian, then he's not the best logician. That's what's going on there. Because whether or not uh, Hindus or Muslims or Christians or atheists or anybody else are seem to be good people or not, um, while being good people can make the truth more attractive and can speak and can add further evidence for the truth claims of Christianity, the reality is that what's true is true, whether the people talking about it are horrible people or not. So if, if Gandhi is going to be in hell, he's going to be in hell because he rejected Jesus. And there's no question in my mind, he was aware of the gospel message. Amen. And here's the thing to remember, going back to John 14, 6, that I quoted earlier, uh, about Jesus being the way. Okay, so when, when we talk about Jesus being the way, the word way, that seems to imply direction, a path upon which people are on a journey, and then it's followed by, I am the truth. So truth for us is not grounded merely in propositions, but in a person himself who is, while also incarnate, uh, fully human, he's also fully God. So all truth is God's truth. And so I, I, I hate to, to ruffle some feathers here, but any non-believer, think about the coronavirus, for example, and, and the question we dealt with last week, are you going to praise God? Or are you going to thank scientists as if those things are diametrically opposed? No matter what a scientist's position, no matter what a moralist's position is, any time that they stumble across anything that is true, it is along the way of Jesus. And it is because of Jesus grounding that truth ontologically in his divine nature, um, that is the Jesus that helped them discover truth and makes the truth in their moral claims and in and, and, and scientific discoveries that latch on and correspond to reality. All of that is because of Jesus from a Christian worldview perspective. So any moral praiseworthiness that, 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 that Gandhi was able to muster, the truth that he found outside of Christianity was along the way, which is Jesus, who is also truth. So for us, uh, anything that anyone does outside of Christ that is good, that is true, that is beautiful, is solely because of Christ. So... And you can see now I just that want we to will put... not get through all 78 of these questions since we're 22 minutes in and we're not off question one. But we, before we move off of question one, on to question two, in the case of Fred Phelps, you kind of indicated this before, but it needs to be flatly said. And, and this is so, so belief or to believe or to have faith or, you know, whatever in the New Testament, because those words, even the English translations of those words don't quite capture it, what we, what many people hear and sort of just take woodenly off the surface is, oh, well, Fred Phelps believes it. So if he believes it, then isn't he good? Even if he's a horrible, he's to, I mean, he's doing the, all these horrible, he in no way bears any fruit at all of Christ. And yet, uh, or I mean, at least that's what we get from the news and everything. I mean, I don't know his personal life, didn't know his personal life, but like if, if we could imagine a person like that, um, as long as he believed and, and mental assent to the right thing, then he's good. When in reality, that is not the gospel message. The gospel message 
um, is that you belief is all wrapped up in trust and uh, and placing your faith, which is your trust, your loyalty, and then you know Jesus said, "Why you call me your master? You don't do what I say. Why you call yourself my disciple? You don't do what I say. You you, you got to do what Jesus right. says, not in order to earn it, but because you got it. And so that's uh, right. If if he's not, if, if there's no fruit there. None less than Jesus tells us that you'll know them by their fruits. So just believing technically in terms of mental assent, the right thing, doesn't make you a Christian. And then on the other hand, with uh, Gandhi, doing good works doesn't in of itself make you a Christian. And so these are right. all important things that need to be kept in mind that make for a more interesting, I think, conversation we've just had than what was given in this uh, blog article. Or video. Right. And by... And, and I want to make the point that while you need to be careful and you don't need to set yourself up as the position of final judge, that's God's job, right? Ideas like we don't have Holy Spirit detectors and we don't know people's hearts. Wrong. Sorry. That's that's popular Christian verbiage that has no basis in the Bible whatsoever, because just as Jesus and Paul and other biblical authors gave us tests, John gave us tests to see if we are in the faith, they also gave us standards and measures by which we can determine whether or not our fellow church members are also in the faith as well. And like you said, you'll know them by their fruit, um, you know, at what comes out of their mouth, uh, things like that. There are standards by which, you know, do you do what Jesus says, by which you can, uh, if they believe the proposition, some people believe in the propositions that we're living in a simulation created by aliens. Other people believe in the propositions uh, that there are, uh, intelligent life in other parts of the cosmos, whatever. Uh, that's belief in ideas. But Christianity is more than ideas. Christianity is a person. It's based in Jesus Christ. So it's beyond just believing in propositions and ideas. That's not salvation. Yeah, so um, all that's really good. Shall we move on to question number two? Should yes. a killer who genuinely repents at the end of his life go to heaven? Now, this, to my mind hits on the same confusion that we just saw with the last one, which is this notion that you going to heaven or hell is based on whether you've been a good person in your life. Uh, and there's like these um, scales of Islam where, where you, if you, if you do enough good, you, you get in, if you do enough bad, instead of, you're standing with Jesus and the recognition that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is, deserves to get in. It's because we have an intercessor for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the reason that we get in. So when it comes to the deathbed convert who was a serial killer, um, yeah, he can be forgiven of his sins. That There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing unbiblical. That seems to be the biblical message. So if you believe Christianity, I take that to be assistant-dependent belief. Now, let me. having said that, um, only God knows the real intentions and motivations of your heart. And, uh, you know, Steve Gregg uh, made a good point one time that I never thought about it this way because I'm so used to evangelic, what did you call it once, evangelic speak, that um, I'm, I'm used to thinking, yeah. oh, well, yeah, uh, so if a person, uh, you know, if a person, if anybody repents, they're immediately, you know, that they're going to be safe. But he made a good point. He's like, yeah, but. We actually have a lot of cases where someone was on their deathbed, had a deathbed conversion, and then they didn't die, and they survived, and they went on to live the rest of their life for many, many years, and went right back to everything they were before, like a dog back to their vomit, you know? And so, in such right. a case, 
I can't say that person was genuinely saved. So at, when it comes to a deathbed conversion, can a serial killer be saved? Sure. On his deathbed? Sure. The question is, was that legitimate? Did he mean it? Was he really committing his whole life to Christ? Come what may, only he and God know that. Right. It's it's a matter that, like you said earlier, God is a just judge who will judge that. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to. Um, but instead of this being actually a weakness of Christianity, it's the strength of Christianity because no matter how wretched of a sinner you are, Jesus is an even greater Savior than your sin. So this is not a weakness of Christianity that a truly repentant murderer or serial killer on his deathbed can uh, convert me. That's the strength of the uh, of the Christian belief system because it demonstrates the strength of our Savior. It, salvation is a gift of grace through Jesus Christ. It's not uh, merited, it's not earned, and every one of us is disqualified from earning whether you are a silly a serial killer or a serial liar or uh, someone who just uh, shoplifted candy once when you were 15 in high school. So one sin is enough to damn you, but um, Jesus is big enough to save you. Yeah, so <clears throat> this goes right on to the next question, which is... Um, do kind-hearted, uh, let's see, uh, should a kind-hearted atheist go to hell for all eternity? And do kind-hearted religious people who just aren't Christians also deserve to burn? So, same, okay, this is the other side of the same problem, but it's the same problem, which is, look, man, it's not, get it through your skull. It's not, and, you have, and okay, maybe someone hasn't heard this pretty basic theological idea that has been around forever, or at least 2,000 years. But but in, you're living in America, and you've encountered certain uh, you know Christian voices. I have to believe that you've heard this very orthodox concept that, look, man, it's not about... I mean, my kids could tell you this, your kids. It's not about whether or not you do enough good works or you're a good person and, and all that sort of thing. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not that you're... Again, not that you were born guilty of Adam's sin, but... Um, it is so. It is such a sure thing that everyone will end up sinning. That under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul was happy to say, "All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." And so, for that reason, now, but then there is this other side to it that is is believing the right things important. Yeah, believing the right things is important too. When you're presented with truth, what you should do is accept and believe it. Understanding there might be a period of time where you're not yet convinced, and you, you know, the thing with um, where almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, Paul. Yeah, that could have gone the other way. The guy could have been listening, hearing, and ultimately been convinced. So there's nothing wrong with there being a time where you're really thinking this through and not just immediately jumping on it. But when you see the truth, you should accept it. And if and and as as um, a, a realistic person living in the world who sees all the great theistic arguments, the evidence for creation all around me, all these kind of things that surely Paul was alluding to in Romans 1.20, I have to say, you have been given the truth such that Paul is right. If you don't accept it, you are without excuse. Now, I know to our atheist audience that sounds horrible, but you know what? Um, if, if, if someone is dying of some terminal illness... I want to be able to look at them and tell them something that might sound scary and might seem terrible so that they'll accept the truth and do something about it. Right, and the question itself confuses categories of horizontal comparisons to vertical comparisons. So horizontal comparatives, uh, comparisons, atheists and people of other uh, world religions can be kind-hearted people relative to those who are around them. That does 
nothing that says nothing to the vertical comparison to the standard of God and how you measure up with the standard of God. So kind-hearted relative to other people horizontally, um, you know, that's not the issue at all. The issue is how do you stand before a holy and just God uh, who gave a free gift of his son to save the world. Okay, so you, you, by virtue of having sinned, relative to other people, your sin, like you said, Paul's, quite bluntly says, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So your sins relative to others may not be as bad, and you may be more kind-hearted than those who are around you horizontally. However, every sin is under the slavery and yoke of sin. Sin uh, is described as a reign. Uh, sin reigns as a, as a ruler because where death reigns, sin reigns, okay? And death is another cosmic power. Uh, both of those were defeated at the cross when we finally defeated at the second coming, okay? So every, every sin that you've done, whether it's not bad relative to others, still goes against God's commands and adds destructive force to God's good creation. So you are still culpable for that, even though relative to other people, you are not as bad or as wicked. So it confuses your moral standing relative to other people versus your moral standing before a holy God, because what sins you have committed also deface his good creation and violate his commands. And as the reporter told Joe Biden, I'm going to tell you, cough into your elbow, not your hands. <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you for that. That was beautiful. And you summed it up really nicely. Um, it's layered. There may have been layers of meaning even in that last comment. So um, look, uh, the reality of it is uh, some atheist is going to say back to you, Jonathan. Oh, I'm supposed to. Oh, you're telling me I'm supposed to compare myself to the kindness and goodness of God instead of other people. Oh, yeah. I hear how that sounds to you, Pritchett. But are we talking about the same God that uh, that that told him to you know, do all the atrocities, go into Canaan, kill everything that breathes, uh, the flood that killed everyone, even the little kids who, who barely out of their crib or whatever in their crib still? Uh, how, 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 you're telling me I got that's a real kind God. What do you say to that? Well, number one, divine double standard. I'm actually perfectly comfortable with that. I, I've already said for Pine Creek to be happy about yes, Jesus drowned babies. Get over it, okay? Because God is just. And Pine Creek, along with Jonathan Pritchett and Braxton Hunter, lack the divine standard and the, the omniscience to know what perfect justice is. OK, uh, like I said, I make no apologies for the Christian uh, scriptures. I make no apology for the Christian exclusivity. I make no apologies for what I believe. Guess what? Atheists and uh, non-Christians and people of other world religions uh, Braxton Hunter and Jonathan Pritchett at Trinity Radio believe Christian things, and we're not ashamed of it. That's why we're defending it, so that you will repent and believe this gospel. But yes, God is also the God that has allowed the coronavirus to spread and has taken the lives of many, just like the flu does every year. Uh, but for some reason, because this is the latest scare, people talk about this while ignoring last year's flu season and say, why didn't God stop the flu or God sent the flu or whatever. I have no idea. Uh, we talked about this already. What what this uh, latest virus is? Is it a judgment from God or is it? The message is always the same, though. It's like the tower that fell at Salomon. You know, the message is repent, 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 repent. Right. And, and, and so well, let me. And add so, yeah. Well, I just want to say real quick um, that, yeah, whether God 
you know, he's just in all of his commands, uh, not simply because he commands him, but because the grounded goodness is grounded in his very nature. And he has the omniscience to understand his own nature of nothing else. So but omniscience understands everything else. But the issue is, yeah, God created a good creation and even your sins have contributed to ruining it. So because we live in a fallen world, sin perpetuates and sin is the the ultimate cause. Uh, I, I heard uh, Mount Zion's preacher, Pastor Dave, I was listening to his sermon. Where, where did the coronavirus come from? It came from sin, it came from the, the death in the garden and the sin in the garden. All the way back to that's what all of this comes from. But thankfully, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from sin and death, two cosmic powers that he defeated at the cross. Yeah, and two things on the heels of that, which is one, uh, th- you know why it sounds so bad? You know, you know why it is that Pine Creek and others love to ha- harp on the whole idea that Jesus drowned babies and all, all this whole thing in the flood. We're talking about flood. That could be confusing to people, but but um, yeah. he connects the idea that Jesus is a part of the Trinity. So and and God is the one who oh, you know brought the flood. So therefore, Jesus drowns. But yeah, okay. So, but here's the th- why does that sound so bad? Why does the slaughter of the Canaanites sound so bad? It sounds so bad because of the misconception that only two percent of the history of the world has thought was the case that death is the end, that that death is all there is. And so, if death is the end, then for the idea that that babies would die is like the worst imaginable thing. Because here at the very beginning of their life, they're snuffed out when they are so you know look so innocent there in the crib and all that. But here's here's the here's the idea on Christianity. That's only the beginning. Uh, the, the, the the our life here on Earth is just the beginning, and what we're going to experience after this is exponentially more and exponentially longer. So that's number one. So death is not the end. So this whole thing of acting like God is so awful in the Old Testament because um, of death. Uh, sorry, doesn't fly if you buy the whole world view, if you look at the whole world view as it is. Secondly, Jesus is our... Okay, so a lot of what you see that looks so horrible in the Old Testament, and this is why it really annoys me when certain progressive theologians, who I may otherwise admire, try to act like the Old Testament should be not believed or should be reconceptualized or something. Bunk. Here's the, here's the, reason, here's the proper context for all of this. Um, Jesus did not contradict God in the Old Testament when he said that you should turn the other cheek, whereas the God of the Old Testament says eye for eye. In one case, the Old Testament, what you've got is judicial, you know, uh, you know, national uh, legal justice. So there's a difference between how you and I interact with each other interpersonally here in America today versus or, or even how we might treat an enemy combatant or something like that or, or speak to someone who's an enemy versus how the U.S. government must confront those foes. The U.S. government must confront in a very different way. And so Jesus wasn't saying that, oh, the God of the Old Testament, eye for an eye, is wrong. He was just saying that's what... He never even said if someone went to the judges now that that's not what should be done. I can't imagine a more uh, equivalent examination of justice than eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's, that is perfect justice. What Jesus was saying was, yes. that's what, that's what the government does. But interpersonally, 
if you're one of my followers right. interpersonally, you don't operate with, you operate with forgiveness. and So while you understand God in the Old Testament as a, this is why it's all, and I think this is so big, and I'm sorry I'm on a little bit of a rant here, but the, but this is no. why it's, this Preach. is why, well, this is why it's so big whenever these atheists say, well, if God commanded you to go slaughter a group of people, would you go do it? No, because that is, that is God speaking, first of all, directly where they have like as close to Cartesian certainty as they can have that, yeah, this is God telling me to do this. Right. Secondly, it's a national thing. Whereas what we're commanded to do is look to Jesus and frankly, Paul and say, what, what do, what are we supposed to do in light of this new Testament thing interpersonally in our daily lives? That is a huge difference that has to be understood. Right. And I appreciate you said that as close to Cartesian certainly as certainty as possible with respect to that question, because uh, the friendly atheist asked another question. If God told you to kill me, would you do it? Blah, 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 blah. Now, we, we were and you made the proper distinction between national orders and interpersonal commands and, and how the ethos for both of those are to be carried out. And that's very important. Um, we've mentioned on previous uh, programs we can only think of one case where God, uh, you know, told an individual to, 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 to take somebody's life where God told Abraham to kill Isaac. Right. And what happened? God stopped it from ever even happening. So um, you, you've got to put these things in the proper context. Now, another thing that we need to remind our viewers, uh, take uh, the average atheist and his morality. Guess what? Because it's created in the image of God, whether he likes the severity of the consequences, some of his morality overlaps with the Bibles, whether he wants to admit it or not. I mean, I'm sure that an atheist will typically say, yeah, killing is bad. I'm sure an atheist will say that pitching babies into the fire, even though they do, they're, they're for the equivalent in the womb, they're against the equivalent of pitching babies into the fire outside of the womb, um, which is a double standard, but they, they're at least against throwing babies in fires. They're, they're against stealing, things like that. Now, take any atheist uh, with that morality that they have, um, um, the, the, the moral sense that they have, however um, misguided it may be from a Christian worldview perspective, some of it is on target because of Jesus. Um, drop, let's use Pine Creek or the friendly atheist. Let's drop them in somewhere in the middle of 400 plus years God gave Canaan to get it together before he had them wiped out. Let's put them prior to the flood and put them in humanity there. Now, they would probably, with their moral sense that they have today, if they knew that God existed or believed that God existed, they would probably ask God to do something about this to knock this off, right? Because in the time of the flood, Human beings thought of nothing but evil continually, which would even offset a moral, uh, a moral epistemology of a contemporary atheist had he lived prior to the flood. There were things happening in Canaan that you can read about in Scripture that would horrifically offend the moral sense of a modern-day atheist. And if you plopped them with their modern-day moral sense that they have, and wherever it's right on target, thank Jesus for that— Back in time of that, they would probably demand something be done as well. How do we know? Because we know that God is just and good, and we can read a description of people like the Canaanites. We can read a description of the pre-flood people and their thoughts being continually evil nonstop. So, if you have any desire for justice, which I hope friendly atheists would have, 
uh, or Pine Creek would have. If you see sinners behaving in such reprehensible ways as they were back then, you would be crying out for justice. And I thank God that God does exist, among other things, carry out the ultimate justice at the end of time in the eschaton where relative and minor offenses that get people get away with here in this life will not escape judgment in the next. And thank God for bringing judgment even upon those in this life as well. So I encourage our atheists to go think and reflect upon the biblical account uh, before you quote unquote feel sorry and make appeals to pity for the Canaanites and think it's so horrible what, what, what happened. Um, justice is justice. Jonathan, would you be happy if someone you loved was in hell? No. Me neither. Next question. <laughs> if your child were dying... Does that... <laughs> obviously, the question well, is, how say, could you that... enjoy the splendor of heaven if someone you love is in hell, right? That's the that's the thing. Okay. Okay. Those are two different statements, though. Yeah, well, I'd be happy that's if someone I that's know what, was in hell. Yeah, but that's what they did. No. Right. But, but, that is the glory and magnitude of God himself. And to know Christ, to know God, to enjoy God forever, as, as, as you know, we can make appeals to pity all day long about how awful that is that you won't care. Nobody said that. But it is so overwhelming and over, you know, overcoming of any grief that you might have for people in hell that it, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if this offends your sensibilities on this side of heaven. But no, uh, I can be happy in heaven, knowing that everyone that I love may not have made it there and that they are in hell. That doesn't mean I'm happy they're in hell, because I'm not happy they're in hell. But that doesn't mean that I won't be overcome with joy and happiness and glee uh, and, and, and almost just, I guess, euphoria of being in the presence of God and basking in his glory yeah. for all eternity. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, uh, I, I, that's, that's what you're missing when you yourself are not counted among those who will be singing holy, holy, holy. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's bad um, enough to just say... Not that we'll be singing that song for all eternity, but you know what I mean. Well, it's it's bad enough, you know, just the, the fact that um, if you were right, like let's say you were right, that I will be really sad about the people in hell and that I will remember it. And all that would mean is that this Thomas Kincaid sort of understanding of heaven isn't exactly the way that it is, that, that it's... It's a bit more earthy than what maybe some church people... It doesn't mean any of it's false, right? It doesn't mean any of that. But right. Secondly, what I want to say about this is often what we get... I loved when... Um, um, uh, oh, why, why can't I remember the guy's name? He's like one of my... Oh, Jerry Walls. Jerry Walls, when he when he was on Capturing Christianity, they were talking about heaven. And he said, I just think some of these people who make these objections about heaven are just not using their imagination hard enough. Which is not to say we're just making all this stuff up. It's just to say when you're creating what you see as uh, an impossibility or a contradiction in the understanding that we have about heaven... All we have to do is come up with a defeater. That means all we have to do is imagine some way that your contradiction doesn't obtain. So um, when I think about this, is what I was always told when asked when I asked this question growing up was, well, you know, the Bible says God's going to wipe every tear from the believer's eye in heaven, so maybe he'll just wipe every memory of that person away. 
I don't know if that's true. And I think I could see maybe some philosophical problems with that as I reflect on memories right. and this blank void when I'm looking back on memories. But at the same time, maybe that's the case. It's like the question that my daughter asked our pastor not too long ago and then asked me on the way home. Well, and, and it's great because my daughter is 12 years old, but she asked a question that Holy Kool-Aid uh, came up with on a video from last year, which is, um, won't I get bored because if we're there in a potentially infinite, always approaching infinite, but never arriving at infinite future in heaven, won't there come a day when we've had every conversation, done everything, scratched every itch, stepped on every blade of grass, walked on every planet surface, done everything that you could possibly do, and now we're bored? And I'm and and I at first I, I I thought of you know maybe God could create new universes. I mean we know that's something God's able to do. Then I thought 